So we're in a series thinking about the Holy Spirit, and uh, as I said last week, I don't know how you feel about talking about the Holy Spirit. As I've been talking to some of you this week and over the weeks before, I feel like some of us come at the the topic of the Holy Spirit feeling a little bit like that thing out of Scooby-Doo, you know, the Holy Ghost, and you think, oh, there's some weird thing coming out like that might be a bit creepy and haunt you, like Halloween. Uh, Some people think about the Holy Spirit a bit more like the force be with you, the spirit to be with you this sort of vague, out there, possession, power that can do weird things to weird people. Um, Some of us come of the Holy Spirit, and I feel like I scared you all last week by basically telling you that the Holy Spirit makes you cry, and then I feel like I basically lost all the guys in the room immediately. It was like, we are literally out, and you just told us we're going to cry in church, like, forget it, we're going to the pub. So apologies, I didn't mean that. You know, sometimes that does happen, that's not the only thing that the Holy Spirit does. Um, But really, what we've been trying to do is to get us to think about this idea of the third person of the Trinity. God himself, who is real and present and who helps us as people on earth to navigate between what it means to be a physical person in time and space and physics and maths and chemistry and biology and to be a spiritual person, someone who has connection with the creator of the universe and the spiritual beings and everything that God wants to do in the world. And so last week we we talked about the Holy Spirit as an advocate and alongside her a wonderful counselor, the spirit of truth. Those are all words that the Bible uses for the Holy Spirit. And I love them because they they remind us that the Holy Spirit is personal. He's present. There is this relational dynamic to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But we also talked about him with this sense of power, a powerful presence in our lives not just to make us cry sometimes, but a power to do things, to enact things of the heavenly realms, things of the kingdom of God, things that are way beyond biology and physics and maths and anything else into our lives. And if you look at the Bible, you see things like the Holy Spirit calling people, guiding people, anointing people, healing people, giving people gifts so that they can do things that they wouldn't ordinarily be able to do on their own. And, and I love it. You know, I think I shared, didn't I, like 20 years ago, I thought the Holy Spirit was the weirdest, most scary thing that I could possibly imagine. But I've come to realize, wow, if, if I want to be alive, if I want to live well, if I want to navigate what is this crazy time to be a human being at the moment, I need the Holy Spirit. I need his power, I need his presence, I need his life flowing through me, and so therefore the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra for people who would look a little bit spiritual with that slightly faraway look in their eyes as they ascend into the third heaven. No, like, we need the Holy Spirit, church. We're not going to make it if we try and do this on our own. We need this. And the Bible tells us we need this, just in case you were wondering. Ephesians 5, 16 tells us this. We, church, are to walk in the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18. We, church, are to be led by the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 5, 25. We, church, are to live by the Spirit. We actually are alive by the power of the Spirit. And I'm excited by that. 
And I hope, whether or not this has been a good thing for you or a scary thing for you or whatever thing for you, that over these next weeks, I might just be able to coax you a little bit further along the journey to think about this for yourself. However, I realize that in the middle of this whole topic, there's one particular question. And it's a question that people ask me all the time, and we have coffees with people, and they say, well, I need to know this. If the Holy Spirit's real, if the heavenly stuff is real, if we live on earth, how do you hear God's voice? Right now, really, like, how do you do it? Um, And so I thought I might be able to do this all in one session. And up until last night, I was like, I'm going to get the whole thing done this tomorrow morning. We're going to talk about prophecy. We're going to talk about words of encouragement. We're going to talk about listening. And then I realized, I was like, oh, Chase, you're a stupid. You can't do that. So I'm going to split our talk today into two pieces. This morning, we're going to talk about the first half, about hearing God's voice. And then in our next session, together, we'll talk about how you might go about receiving a spiritual gift so that you can share God's voice with other people. Is that okay? So the bad news is you won't get it all today. The good news is you're coming back. You're coming back. You have to come back. Okay, let's have our reading. Sam has got our reading for this morning, and uh, we are in John chapter 4, and you might know this passage well, but you probably don't know it like this from the Holy Spirit, but John chapter 4, where Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman, a woman at the well. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, please feel free to turn to John chapter 4. Um, starting at verse 1. Hello? Okay. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it from himself, as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped you on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is coming from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Awesome. Thank you, Sam. So what has that got to do with the Holy Spirit, you, you might ask? Well, this is why we want to talk about it, and we're going to use it this week, and I'm also going to use it in our next session as well. It's because if you track the ministry of Jesus, you will know that before Jesus ever comes to earth, he is fully God in the heavenly realms, part creator of the universe. But he comes to earth, and he empties himself fully of his power, fully of his glory. He lives as a man, as a boy, as a child, as a man. But at Jesus' baptism, he becomes full of the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And that marks in the gospel the start of those three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so if you ever want to know what the ministry of the Holy Spirit really looks like, you actually should always look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the most fully full of the Holy Spirit person that has ever walked on the planet tracking with me? And so when we look at the ministry of Jesus, what we're actually also doing is we're looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit working through Jesus. And so today we're going to look at almost like the Samaritan woman part where she receives that ministry. And then next time out, we'll look more at the way that the ministry of the Holy Spirit comes through Jesus to bring transformation into the world around us. So a couple of things that I want to talk to you about this morning. And I'm assuming, by the way, that you want to hear God's voice. And I will say at the outset, if you don't want to hear God's voice, no worries, you probably won't, because God isn't going to force you. But if you do want to hear God's voice, how do we start the journey of listening to the creator of the universe? And it's very straightforward, although it feels a bit complicated, and it starts like this. If you want to hear God's voice, you have got to be quiet. You have got to be quiet. I am coming to the conclusion that we live or are coming into a season in the world which might be the most noisy, congested moment in the history of the world so far. Now, why do I say that? I say that because our physical spaces are getting noisier again, right? You know, we've had two years where we've not traveled very far, where we've not seen as many people. I feel like I didn't go anywhere for two years, but I just was thinking this week, oh my gosh, I've just taken nine flights, two countries, four states in the last month. The freeways are getting really busy. Our restaurants are being busy. Our, you know, everything around society is getting noisier. But on top of that physical stuff, which is coming back, We've also added a new dimension which has gone on leaps and bounds over the last few years, and that's like the virtual spaces, the, the communication spaces, the digital spaces, right? And if you put those two things together, as we're all doing now, I want to suggest that this is noisier, more congested than it's ever been before. Now, I'm not debating whether or not like digital media, social media, is good or bad. 
it's, I'm, I'm pro-tech. But what I am saying is that the spaces that used to exist in the world for people to be quiet seem to be disappearing pretty fast, right? You know, do you remember a time back, way back when, maybe like five years ago, when you'd be in a grocery store and you'd be standing in a line waiting to pay and you didn't have a smartphone in your pocket. I mean, like, what did you do? I don't know, you know, like, look at other human beings, maybe talk to people, maybe just stand quietly, I, I don't know. But now, whether it's the grocery store, whether it's late at night, whether it's first thing in the morning, whether it's sitting on the toilet, not pointing fingers at anyone in particular, right? We have in our pockets, we have this attachment to noise. We have more people, more entertainment, more content than we can possibly consume in a lifetime, and it's updating by the second, and it bombards us. Which means that between the virtual spaces and the physical spaces, we are like overwhelmed with content. We are overwhelmed with noise. And that's good in terms of having access to technology. I'm not sure that like, you know, all of the, the people who like, dance on TikTok with a Bible in their hand, I'm not sure that's good. But you know, generally, there's some good stuff there. But what I am convinced is that if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, you have to be still. Why do you have to be still? Because the voice of the Lord is actually quite quiet. It's a whisper. And it comes to people when they're in that place. Just think for me, with me for the woman at the well. Here she is. She's in the middle of the day, out on her own, completely far away from other human beings. Now, there are societal reasons. The main theological thrust of this passage is not to tell us that, but it is true. And that's where the voice of the Lord comes to her. And in case you think that's unusual and that's not how it normally works, track with me for a minute. Moses. Shout outs. Where does Moses first encounter the Holy Spirit and the voice of the Lord? Anyone? Burning bush, right? If you don't know where the burning bush is, it's basically a piece of desert, very far away from noise. Later on in life, when the Holy Spirit comes back to Moses and says, I want to give you this map of morality that's going to overarch the, overarch the whole world of how the world is going to operate, it's called the Ten Commandments, where does he do it? At the top of a mountain. The prophets almost all hear the word of the Lord come to them in quiet. All the way through, if you go to the end of the Bible, you get this guy called John. And John hears the most complete prophetic picture of heaven that we get anywhere, which is the book of Revelation. Where does he get the, the prophetic vision for Revelation? Exiled in quiet on a Greek island. Now, you might go, that's fine, Ben. Like, my life is too busy to go to Greek islands all the time. Like, I would love it if I could go to the desert, or I would love it if I could go and hang out on Greek islands for the summer and just sit there and soak up the rays and listen to the voice of the Lord. That would be great. Like, most of us don't have that luxury. But what I do believe incredibly passionately, and I preach it to myself as much as to you, is that we need to be able to find those spaces the spaces which are the thin spaces, the spaces which are the quiet spaces, because those are the places where the Lord will want to speak to you. 
Now for you, it might be early in the morning with a cup of coffee before everyone wakes up in your house and your Bible open. That's wonderful. It might be late at night once everyone else has been quiet and you can settle down. It might be up a mountain. It might be in a church when we sit and we wait in the quiet. It could be lots of different things. But it's not, I don't think, an option. And I also don't think that there's a life hack, just in case you've been looking for the life hack like I have been for 30 years. Like, what's the secret? We need a secret. The only way to do this is discipline and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It is. I was with them. A guy called John Tyson this week. I got my first trip to the South. If I seem a little different, it's because I went to the South this week. And um, John Tyson, if you don't know, is one of the most wise, prophetic, biblical voices speaking into American culture right now that I know. And I was like, how, how on earth, John, do you know the things that you know? How do you read the things that you read? Like, how is it that you are so wise? And for two days, I sat there thinking, what's his life hack? What's the secret here? And then I realized he let it slip on the third day. He's like, well, basically, I've had to come to the hard realization that I have to put my phone to bed. (laughs) That before I go to bed in the evening, I have a box in my house, and I take my phone, and I put it in a box, and I have some time with Jesus. And when I wake up in the morning, before I do everything else, I, I, I do everything else, and then I pick up my phone, and I start my day. And I was like, oh man, it's like, that's not my story. That's not how I live. My phone and I, we are all together. We need to sort that out. So if you want to know that, you will know what that means, but you need to get some time away from the digital. You need to get some time even outside of the physical so that you can operate into the spiritual. So what do you do then? Well, The second thing is then, if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, you've actually got to learn to tune in and to understand what it is that you are hearing. There's this beautiful um, passage in 1 uh, 1 Samuel 3, and it's about this young guy called Samuel who goes on to be the prophetic voice for all of Israel. But he's just kind of a young kid, and he's growing up in the courts of a guy called Eli, who's an old man at this point. And in the middle of the night, the voice of the Lord comes to Samuel, and he says, Samuel, Samuel. And so Samuel gets up, and he rushes to Eli. And, and, he, and Eli, he says, Eli, I'm here. What do you want? And Eli says, well, I didn't speak to you. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. And then the voice comes again, Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up, and he rushes to Eli. He's like, what do you want? It wasn't me. Go back to bed. And the third time, Samuel, Samuel, he, Samuel rushes up. He goes to Eli, and Eli realizes, oh, <laughs> This is the voice of the Lord speaking to you. And so he says to Samuel, when you go back to bed this time, if you hear the voice of the Lord again, this is what you need to say. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so Samuel, he goes back to bed and he lies there and the voice of the Lord comes to him and he says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And suddenly this incredible, very challenging, prophetic voice comes through him. If you want to hear the voice of the Lord, actually, it takes a little bit of time to recognize, to understand, to push in. I don't know if you know, but God speaks in lots of different ways in Scripture. He speaks through the Bible. And if you, if you didn't know that, if you think that you can navigate around the Bible and meet with God, I'm so sorry. I have news for you. You can't. The Bible is the most 
primary, definitive, authoritative word that you and I have of the voice of God. It always will be. The God speaks through dreams. Some of you get dreams. Maybe you get dreams and you don't even know yet what they mean, but you're like, I get dreams. God speaks through visions. He speaks through pictures. When you're praying and like a little thing will just flash into your mind that you, surprises you. God speaks through words. He speaks through circumstances. In fact, God can speak a thousand different ways. Why? Because there's a thousand billion different people. And you are wired different to me, and God will speak to you a little bit differently than he speaks to me. But the point is, is that whatever way God speaks to you, you're going to have to do some work to try and translate to understand a bit of the voice of God. Almost nobody that I've ever met immediately speaks God. They they don't. They don't speak the Holy Spirit. They have to learn the Holy Spirit a little bit. But what's really beautiful is that, that God will come to you, even if you think he won't. What I love about this passage of the woman of the Samaritan is that she, at first, has no idea what's going on. So, The Holy Spirit, through Jesus the Messiah, comes to the woman. And she's right there, and he's here, and he starts prophesying into her life. Word of encouragement, prophetic picture, and she's got nothing. She doesn't have no idea what's going on at all. First of all, she just kicks in with like, well, hold on a minute. Like, you're a Jewish man, I'm a Samaritan woman, like, we shouldn't even be talking. And then she goes through these kind of different lenses of different barriers that she puts up and like God wouldn't, you know, if there was a God, if there was a Messiah, I tell you what, he would not speak to me. But yet, this is an example of exactly how God speaks, is that he goes to the people who are the least likely, even in the least likely situations and the least likely places, and he speaks. But I wonder this morning, what are the reasons that you have in your heart for why you are convinced that God would never speak to you? What are the reasons? This woman starts with, hey, well, I'm a a Samaritan, you're a Jew. If God was going to speak to anyone, he would not be speaking to me because I'm a Samaritan. Second line, I'm a woman. In that culture, God would not be speaking to women because women are second-class citizens in her mind. That's not true, by the way, just in case you were wondering. Third reason, oh, and if God was to speak, he wouldn't be speaking to Samaritan, he would definitely not speak to a woman, and he most definitely would not speak to me, because I am full of failure. I am full of brokenness. My life is a disaster zone. God would not speak to me. So let me ask you again, what are the reasons that you have for why you are convinced that God will not speak to you? God could speak to that guy, He looks so spiritual. He literally has an aura around him as he walks through church. Oh, God could speak to that woman. She's been to seminary. God could speak to that person. They are just so holy. You know, look at their lives. But God would never speak to me. Well, I have news for you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to you and have a relationship with you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you. That's how much he wants to speak to you. We, had a, we were just praying before the service and, and someone just said like, we prayed a prayer, it was like this. It's like, 
God, even though I'm not worthy, I thank you that you love me and you want to speak today and use me. And as that person said that word, something just sprang up in my spirit. I was like, oh, that's what the Lord wants to do today. Because some of you came to church and you are convinced that God will never speak to you. You maybe think, I'm the Bible guy, I can read the Bible, but I don't hear, I don't have pictures, I don't have dreams, I don't have visions, it's just not how I work. And I just want to say to you this morning, I believe that maybe even this week you might experience something different. So how does it, how does it work? Well, maybe you will get a dream. That's how it works throughout Scripture all the time. Maybe in the middle of the night you'll just spot something. Maybe you, as you're praying for someone, you will just feel something very deep. And if you've ever had that, you're just talking away to God and something just comes up from in your spirit. It, it might be that, you know, you read a passage of scripture and as the, you read this passage of scripture, which you've read a hundred times, suddenly it will burst out of the pages in front of you. These are all just ways that we learn to hear the Holy Spirit. But you also need to know that it takes quite a lot of practice to go through this stage. And the reason it takes quite a lot of practice, and even that ultimately you might not get it right all the time, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says this in the King James. He says, for now, and when he says now, he means earth, between Jesus' comings. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even also as I am known. So come with me on a little thought experiment for a minute. So take a look at the windows. You can do that if you're here. It won't work if you're at home. If you will notice around, we have these beautiful, slightly opaque stained glass windows here. The best one is actually behind you. So I'm so sorry, now you're all turning around. It's up there. If there was a bird sitting on the windowsill outside, quite a big one, would you be able to tell me that there's a bird there? Yes or no? Yes, I think you probably could. Would you be able to tell me roughly how big the bird was? Yeah. Would you be able to tell me exactly what type of bird it was? Would you be able to tell me its colors and its markings? Probably not. And that's what Paul is basically saying to us in 1 Corinthians 13. We live in a space which is between the physical, this, and the spiritual. We don't fully live in the spiritual yet. That's called heaven. And because of that, when we hear God's voice, when we discern the voice of the Spirit, we're actually doing it almost through a stained glass window. We don't see everything perfectly. Now, if you look through that stained glass window for long enough, and you did it day after day, over time you would start to be able to recognize more. You would start to figure out some patterns. You would start to work out, oh, that's kind of how the light reflects a little bit. Oh, it's that color, but that color is that color. You'd get better, but you wouldn't get perfect. And that's really important because I want you to know that when God speaks, it does often feel a bit like that. 
that you don't know exactly what it looks like. So what do you do? Well, if you feel that God is speaking to you, here's three quick tools that I just want to give you to help you. And some of you are going to go, I haven't been doing those for 20 years, and that's fine. Number one, always have your Bible at hand. If you think God is speaking to you and it does not match up with what the Bible says, let me be gentle and loving with you. That's not the Lord. It's not. It's not the Lord because the Bible is the definitive word of God that God spoke into time and history and into the world. Which means that if you think God is saying something else, he isn't because he doesn't change and he never will. If you think when you wake up one morning that God is calling you to chop the arms off your neighbor because they're annoying you, or to go and commit adultery with some woman that you meet on the way to work, I guarantee you you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong because that isn't how the Lord speaks because he already said something different in the Bible. The second way is actually through each other. And the wonderful thing of the church is that we together hear God's voice. And we can together discern. The Bible talks about it as weighing and testing what God says. I had a, a friend who emailed me. And we were advertising for a pastor for Vintage Church Malibu, which is obviously in Malibu. <laughs> and uh, my friend emailed me and she said, I, I wake up every morning and I have the same dream. I dream of waves. And I know, you're, uh, I know that you're looking for a pastor in Malibu, and I think it must be me. Now, I'm so glad that she emailed me, because within five seconds, I was able to say to her, that's really great. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so just because I know who you are. I don't think so because actually I know what God is looking for in that role, and I don't think that that's who you're going to be. And I think God is looking for someone else. So when you hear waves in your mind, maybe it's because you like surfing, but I don't think it's going to be this one. So it's good to share with other people who are wise, who know us, who can speak into our lives. And the third way, which is the one we're really talking about today, is to start to learn by practice, by repetition, what God's voice feels like to us, right? Because sometimes you will, you will just have a feeling which you can't explain. And over time, you'll learn, oh, yeah, that is what the Lord's voice sounds like for me. And I also want to tell you, as I come towards the end, that it's okay that you'll get it wrong sometimes. This place is the perfect place to get it wrong. But it's okay. Because there's only one way to learn, and that's by getting it wrong a few times. When I, in 2006, I was at um, college, and I was part of a leadership team of a church. And I was in a leadership meeting one day. And out of nowhere, this thought came into my mind. And it was like a word. And it basically said this, you will lead the church into the next generation. And I thought... I don't want to lead this church. I've never had any aspirations of leading this church. And I thought, okay, well, I'll treasure it away. I don't know what to do with it. I'll go home. I went home and I read to scripture. Could I be called to being a leader of the church? Yes, I could be called to be a leader of the church. I shared it with some of my closest friends. I was like, I feel like the Lord's given me this. 
do you think I could be a leader of this church? And they were like, yeah, you could be a leader of this church in the future. And so I waited, I tested it. Now the truth is, I went home, I finished college, I graduated, and I moved to a whole other city, and I never came back. And I was thinking about it like three or four years ago. I was thinking, what ever happened with that prophetic word? And I thought, well, I never was a leader of that church. God never obviously wanted that. But then I thought, well, what did God actually say? God said, you will be a leader of the church in the next generation. You will be the leader of the church in the next generation. Oh, was I a leader of that church? No. But was I a leader in the church in the next generation, 20 years on? Yes, I was. Did God speak? Yes, God spoke. Did I get it right? No, I didn't get it totally right. But I want to tell you, I want to give you the permission that you need to make some mistakes if you want to learn to hear the voice of the Lord. Because that's how it always works. When the Lord speaks to you, you have to hold two things in tension. The first one is you need to be bold and courageous because the creator of the universe might be speaking to you. And if he is, you've got to listen. But you also need to hold it with a degree of provisionality and lightness. There's this beautiful story which you all know from Christmas. The voice of the Lord comes to Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. An angelic visitation, right? Gabriel comes before her. And she says to her, he, and, and the, the angel says, you are going to give birth to the Son of God. Even, and she says, how can it be I'm a virgin? There's this great conversation and debate going on. It's good. It's good to have debates with God. It's, it goes on and on. And then at the end, it says, she, what does Mary say? She says, let it be to me, just as the Lord says. I'm, I'm in. If it's you, God, I'm in. But then it finishes in Luke 2, 9 with, team with this. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and she thought about them often. I love that. If God speaks to you, it is possible that right now he wants you to get up and go and do something. That's possible. But usually when God speaks to you, he's actually preparing you for something that hasn't happened yet. He's getting you ready. And if he's getting you ready, the thing that he's speaking to you is probably not the end. It's not just the one-time thing and you've got to get it done. It's probably going to be a journey. And the reason he's spoken to you is because he's just preparing you for the next little bit. You know, Mary didn't go out and buy the baby clothes, as far as we know. What did she do? She held it. She discerned it. She pondered it. And she waited to see what the Lord will do. You know, I was 17 when the Lord first said to me, Ben, you're going to be a church leader. And I pondered it, and I tried really hard not to do it. And over a very long period of time, God just kept speaking. I want this. I've got this. And eventually, what I heard was enough to take the steps that I needed. And that's how the the voice of the Lord works. It's not rocket science. You can all do it. God will speak to you all differently. 